0: everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name's Jesse Jones and we have a tremendous episode for you guys today. We have Mary Ann Eves on the program. You may have seen her in a little documentary called Neat on Hulu. She has also been the master distiller of Castle and Key... She is just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. She is a creative mind. I love talking to creative people because the longer you talk to them, the better of an idea you get of how their brain works and how she has gotten from where she was to where she is. She really is such an interesting person. She's done just about everything in this whiskey game, and I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her about it. Uh, She's on the program today, so we'll get to that in just a moment, take care of a little bit of business first. If you would, please, if you're listening to this, hit subscribe on the uh, old podcast button there. Go find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Do all of the things. Follow Bourbon Showdown wherever Bourbon Showdown needs to be followed. Uh, we also want to thank Will Jones for providing the music for this week's episode. If you get a chance, if you're in the Nashville area and you see Will Jones's name on the marquee, do yourself a favor. Sit your ass down and listen to some good music. We're going to keep it brief up to top today because this conversation is just that good i thoroughly enjoyed talking to marianne we talked about her new venture eve's blind i i can't it's just too much the whole thing that she's put together it's brilliant you're going to enjoy hearing about it i enjoyed hearing about it and now without further ado we're going to go ahead and get this thing started this is the bourbon showdown podcast this week's episode is marianne eves please enjoy the show let's get it started right about now Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I appreciate your time. You are a busy person. <laughs> There's
1: a lot going on.
0: <laughs> Just reading what all you have done in what would take somebody else like 50 years to do. It, it, it's, it's kind of crazy.
1: I appreciate you saying that. I uh, yeah, it's it's been a an interesting, jam packed, uh, fun adventure
0: to say the least. And you've done it all in like t- just over 10 years. Is that correct?
1: That's right. About about 12 years now.
0: So just for anybody that doesn't know, uh, in, in your 12 years, you have uh, interned for Brown Foreman while you were finishing your degree from the University of Louisville, then became their master distiller, becoming the first woman to earn the title of master distiller since Prohibition. Then you joined Castle and Key in 2015 as their master distiller, and now you've left Castle and Key and you're consulting and have launched Eve's Blind. I mean, that you can't even say that in one breath.
1: <laughs> That's
0: insane. And, and uh, under you, you've been 30 under 30, you've been 40 under 40. I imagine at some point you'll be 50 under 50. They'll just keep <laughs> going by the decade. Right. <laughs> so, so walk us through the beginning of that a little bit. How, how did you get started? Like, uh, were you always going to be a, uh, a whiskey, a whiskey person?
1: No, I had no idea that whiskey was in my future. I I really didn't drink whiskey. Um, I was more of a rum and tequila type girl. Um, Really just, you know, the fruitier the drink, the better for me. Um, I, I was in engineering school. And I I got into college a little bit later on. And and everybody that I went to high school with was like worried about me. They're like, what is Marianne going to do with her life? She, you know, she just doesn't have it figured out. And I don't know that there's anybody actually right after high school that's got it all figured out. But um, my mom convinced me to open up a business with her. So I got a little bit of entrepreneurial experience right there uh, when I was 18 years old, helping my mom with a Consignment Arts and Craft Boutique. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. It didn't stay open very long. We weren't in a great location, just right on the railroad tracks down there in downtown LaGrange in Kentucky. Um, But... After that, you know, I I had to really get serious about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And since I loved automotive shop so much when I was in high school, I thought, you know, something to do with that. I could do uh, fuel additives or biodiesel, maybe something with renewable energy. Um, I love the idea of somehow being a part of like saving the world. (laughs) Um, But now they tell me that bourbon is a renewal or a source of renewable energy. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely saved the world. This year. Yeah,
1: right.
0: <laughs> uh, you went from, I just got to say that out loud. You went from art consignment to bioengineering.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Chemical engineering. Yep.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I went from art school to art school. There was no <laughs> chemical engineering. Uh, the closest I've ever come to chemical engineering is drinking the stuff that you make.
1: <laughs> I hear you. Renewing your energy. <laughs>
0: That's exactly right. It's a renewable energy source. So you, you got into it and, and how did it come about that you got the internship with Brown Foreman?
1: So that that's a kind of a funny story is I I knew that just going through the normal avenues wouldn't really make me stand apart. So I was like, I need to find somebody in Brown Foreman to get in touch with. So at the time I was actually training MMA. So I was going to take jujitsu and boxing and Muay Thai classes. And one of the instructors um, who taught one of the the, the ladies uh, jujitsu class actually worked for Brown Foreman as well. So I asked her, I was like, you know, I, I'd really love to get this internship. Who should I talk to? And she asked around and got an email address for me for this woman named Nancy Warfield. And uh, Nancy ended up being a tremendous um, mentor for me. And I give her a lot of credit for the the places where I have uh, risen to because of her pushing and, uh, and, and really her um, uh, challenging me to get out of my comfort zone.
0: You realize you just led a bunch of the internet to go find Nancy Warfield's information and ask her to get them jobs at Brown Foreman. (laughs) Uh,
1: Fortunately for her, probably she, she retired. um, Let's see. I must have been like five years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. She's safe. Yeah. Yeah, She's safe, (laughs) but very well connected. So I won't, I won't, uh, I won't, I will say, you know, she's, she's, she's definitely still a great resource.
0: (laughs) Awesome. I, I got you out of that for a minute, and then boom, you jumped right I know, back right?
1: In. I put it right back in there. <laughs> so
0: so I, I love the layers of you. You've gone from art consignment to chemical engineering to MMA. You're one of those people that, like, as soon as something's in your brain, you have to do it. that That's the vibe I'm getting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I, I started initially just doing the boxing because some Victoria's Secret supermodel said that that was her workout. So I was like, I want to look like a Victoria's Secret supermodel. And then it turned out I just really love doing it. And it, it was a great workout. But also, I think that the, uh, the thing I love most was jujitsu. And that's like a puzzle. And that seems to be kind of a, a, a thread through everything that I love doing the most, the engineering, the fighting, you know, whatever.
0: Figuring it out
1: yeah
0: <laughs> uh, boxing is an insane workout like uh you 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 get your cardio in with the boxing courses oh
1: for sure <laughs> uh
0: we got the 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 peloton i'm not gonna say that right i'm somebody's gonna write me it's not peloton it's peloton whatever we got the thing with the bicycle and they've got like the workout class and it's this like a sweet little girl. And she's like, today we're going to box. And you're like, okay, we're going to box. And then like two minutes into it, you're like, I can't breathe.
1: Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you get a punching bag?
0: I did. I did. Fantastic. Uh, something about 2020. It's just, I've needed to hit something and I've needed to drink something.
1: Gosh, I know that year. feeling. Yeah.
0: It, it's been kind of ridiculous and uh it's, it's, it's hard. The reality that a lot of us have had to like you can't look away from it this year there is no hiding it's there
1: that's so true Uh,
0: how how have you been making out through 2020 through all of this
1: well the beginning of 2020 we were down in florida and and you know hearing the the muttering of of a infectious uh, disease that that was you know developing overseas but i think at that point still nobody was really taking it too seriously over here it just you know seemed totally um uh,
0: them not us
1: yeah it was it was it just could, couldn't couldn't it, it seemed so um far away mm-hmm. um but as, as we, you know, kept getting closer and closer to March, I was getting, you know, more and more pregnant <laughs> and Andy, my daughter, her, her due date was March 9th and, wow. um, she ended up staying in the cooker a little bit longer and was born on Friday, the 13th, March 13th, the day that everything shut down. So, um, I had her, you know, there to distract me from everything going on in the world for the first couple months Uh, my partner had to shut down his show he runs the circus um and you know without live events (laughs) that was shut down um
0: i've been a comedian for the past 12 years so i i completely relate to the circus it's been an awful year for live performance
1: yeah yeah it's um it's uh the unfortunate reality of the world is people not only you know don't don't feel safe and they want to do the right thing by not going to live events the government is is uh, enforcing regulations that prevent people from getting together like that but then also you know one of the big ways that he would would generate sales of tickets is for people to share their experience and whether they you know personally feel safe enough to be in an environment like that they certainly aren't going to put photos I mean, in most cases they aren't going to put photos of themselves out there and and get the backlash and judgment for it so it's just a, a really tough uh tough environment but again um after doing some socially distant shows made the decision to to shut it down again and probably at least until march this time so uh
0: the socially distant shows they can be The zoom shows can be brutal. The socially distant shows, they can be intimate, but they can Mm -hmm. definitely, you don't, you can't string together a group consensus. Like there's an energy with live performance that the more people there are, the more energy it produces. So I, he's, it's, it's hard. I I can relate to what he's gone through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But
0: you get to tell your daughter that the world (laughs) literally stopped on the day she was born. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's right. Yeah, so she was she was com- completely all-consuming for those first couple of months. We we stayed in Florida together, actually living in my mom's house, and our RV was parked in, uh, right across the road in a in an RV park. And uh, a couple months, in, uh, Kevin just had some extreme cabin fever, and so we we picked up and went to Texas, which is where all the the circus equipment was kind of stored at the the time. And then we wound up in Texas. For a couple months, then moved on to Oregon for a couple months, and now we're back in Texas and looking to head back down to Florida. So it's been it's been an interesting, uh, interesting almost nine months now.
0: That's awesome, though. Like in terms of cabin fever, you took the cabin with you.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, that's the best thing about living in an RV for sure. You're you're taking your little germ bubble along with you, and um, we we feel like we've been you know as safe as humanly possible in, in this lifestyle.
0: That's awesome. I've heard that it's impossible to buy an RV right now just because people are doing exactly that. They still want to be out there, but they don't want to be out there. So they're buying RVs and doing exactly what you've done. But you had to be on the RV train before this thing started because now they're almost impossible to find.
1: <laughs> I, I find it a, a, really exciting that, that folks are, are doing that. And, and, uh, I've, um, I've been in it since, let's see, it was September of 2019 that, that I moved in on the circus caravan and it, i'm i'm i've got a little bit of nomad in my blood my mom uh, moved us around a lot when i was growing up i lived in seven different houses in the same county from fourth grade to when i graduated high school oh, so wow. the the movement isn't that unfamiliar to me moving every couple weeks that is <laughs> but at least i'm not packing boxes every time
0: <laughs> oh, totally so so what did your mom do uh, for you guys to be moving so often
1: uh, she just had a little itch in her blood and, you know, it would be like, you know, she, she wants to be in the city. You know, she wants to be out in the country. And, and I think a little bit of just the love of making deals and negotiating and fixing things up. And, yeah, she's she's always loved the, um, the change, the feeling of change and in, in new uh, new places, new spaces.
0: It's It's easy to associate with it's it's it's. I think for creative people, it's very easy to become stagnant with where you are. and that's why a lot of us do move around so much just because, okay, we've done this. Now what? I hear you. and And you went and joined the circus, which is again <laughs> freaking awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a not ever something I would have imagined, but it's really amazing and magical
0: and so so while you're on the road with the circus you're also uh, consulting now like and i think i'm getting a little ahead of myself uh because from there you you were i think it's just crazy you went from intern to master distiller at brown Foreman. uh like you went from to interning to your master blender or master first?
1: <laughs> so as a um, intern, I was working in process research and development group. So I was a little um, process engineer um, intern. And then they hired me on as a full-time process R&D engineer. And I was doing that for three years or so before um, they, wait, maybe not quite, it, it all happened really quickly. And I, I have to think, you know, part of it was right place, right time. And the other part of it was just me busting my butt and raising my hand for every single opportunity that, that came my way. So, you know, I, I started, I, I was, I started there as an intern, pardon me, let me back up a, a little bit in 2009, the end um, in December and was doing all the different jobs, learning about the organization. And in 2012, they decided to hire me full time. And that was actually a, a semester before I graduated with my degree. So I had one little online class to take and they're like, ah, come on, we, we, you know, we, we can wait just as, you know, you have to show us the, the degree when you get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I started working there full time and not too long after I got that full-time position, they moved me over for a production management training kind of um, experience. It was I was the first one that they had put through the program, essentially working alongside, they call them the plant production leaders in their um, bottling facility in LPO. And so I worked all, all three shifts and their LPO facility um, and, you know, worked, got, a, got to work alongside these folks who have been, you know, managing operations and, and those types of things for a long time. So I got a, a tremendous amount of experience. Uh, a little, maybe a month into it, one of the guys, um, one of the man- managers had an injury, so he couldn 't get down to the floor where the bottling lines were he couldn't you know there 's a big staircase um, he could have you know potentially gone around the building, but it was just not necessary so I was working with him and essentially being his eyes and ears on the floor, and that got me some amazing um, experience because I was really leading the team um, even though they knew that that the other guy was up in the office kind of overseeing everything um, it was really nice to be down there. It it was like third, you know, up to thirty union employees that I was managing. Um, you know, even going to the the extent of like scheduling people for their um, overtime shifts and and that sort of thing. You know, moving people around. Um, it was a, I will say, trial by fire experience, and I worked really, really hard. Um,
0: those right those out.
1: jobs oh. are tireless. <laughs>
0: You're right out of school at this point.
1: Right out of school, yeah. Um, So I got through that and made it back in in one piece. Learned a lot about myself, a tremendous amount about being a manager. I pissed a lot of people off, but uh, I think they came around to me uh, toward the end. Um, I'm going to ask. I I got yeah. (laughs) A lot of
0: pushback. Was there a lot of people that were? I've been here 30 years. Who are you?
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say a lot of people. I mean, most people were were very generous about you know because I was learning as I was leading, and and that's a a really tough position to be in. So I think a lot of people maybe they were grumbly, uh, not to my face, but most people were were pretty kind about the whole thing. There there was a, a couple times <laughs> some of the maintenance staff had this saying: "They're like, you don't want Marianne to call twice." Like if I got on the intercom and I was like, maintenance to the filler, maintenance to the filler. Uh, they're like, you don't want to hear Marianne come over it twice. <laughs> 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 that fiery Sagittarius in me. Um, but I, I, you know, there were a couple folks that I f- saw as really valuable to the team and I probably leaned on them more than I should have. Um, I should have, you know, done more to get the rest of the team up to their level versus just wearing my um, high performers out. And I think that's something that a lot of people uh, make the mistake of doing. You know, if you've got somebody who's super productive, you just load them up with work and then they burn out and then you're kind of up a creek. So <laughs> yeah, but I, I got back to my cushy uh, day job uh, back in R&D and almost immediately, I would say within a couple weeks, um, they approached me with the opportunity to start training as a master taster alongside Chris Morris. Wow. So in that year, um, he was taking me, you know, all over the country with him. I still had my full-time R&D job, but then also on top of that, I was working with, with Chris. So, you know, just adding um, more work to my plate, but I was really excited about the chance to do it. You know, they, they, they approached me as, do you want to be the next Woodford Reserve master distiller? And I was like, yep. "Uh, Yes, (laughs) I can do that. In fact, I think I would be great at that job. Uh, So that's what started all of that. What a wonderful
0: answer. I think I'd be great at that. Yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But not simple.
0: Yes. But yes, you are thinking correctly by thinking of me.
1: Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, it was it was a great experience getting to work alongside Chris and and being his kind of right hand woman and developing the master distiller training program together. So I was working as master taster and helping him kind of decide. I um, maybe he was just being generous and in, involving me in the process. But you know, coming coming with the first, you know, master distiller that that he was gonna train as his protege. Um, so that was that was a cool experience too.
0: How do you build your palate? Like how did you prepare yourself to become a master taster? <sighs>
1: My natural ability was pretty good. And I I didn't realize that it was until I actually started working um, with the sensory group. So as an intern, they started getting me involved in their sensory panels. So I was working on what I would call the consumer replicating panel. So it's all these triangle tests, which are three samples. One is different, two are the same, and you have to identify the different one. And I was doing really well on those, even in the ones where they were like, trying to trick you (laughs) and they they started to notice Um, so even though I I wasn't a bourbon drinker I didn't really have any experience with the spirit at all I had a a great sense of smell most of the time was just deciphering the differences with just my sense of smell sometimes it would take uh, taking a sip to notice that there were differences but most of the time I could just perceive it with the the nose Um, I got the top tongue award a couple times at uh, in the sensory panels. <laughs> um, so they they approached me about training to be uh, on the expert panels. And and that just kind of paved the way to start training as the the master taster with Chris.
0: I, I don't think we can just brush over that. Of course, the bourbon industry has a top tongue award. Of course, <laughs> of course they do.
1: Yeah, that was internal for Brown Foreman. So it was really just like a little that posted on the 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 <laughs> bulletin board outside the sensory panel room but yeah
0: <laughs> I think the interesting part of that is that at this point you're still not like a whiskey drinker you're, you're you you weren't one growing up and you're even at the beginning of all of this you were still uh maybe that's why you your senses your palate hadn't already been overexposed. You you know what I mean? There was no sensory memory of something you didn't like from back in the day. It was all right there in front of you right now for the first time.
1: It's so funny. My my parents didn't drink much, so there wasn't much drinking around the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, my younger sister started drinking Woodford before I did. So she's a year and a half younger than me, and she was, you know, ordering neat pours of of Woodford before I had any taste for it whatsoever. So it's funny how how the the tides have turned a little bit these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's like, hey, I'm I'm drinking Woodford. You're like, I'm drinking all the Woodford. Right? I went. <laughs>
1: In fact, I'm distilling the Woodford, yeah.
0: (laughs) You're drinking neat. I made it neat. So (laughs) that's so interesting when people don't have, neither of my parents drink, and they still don't drink uh, growing up. It's weird when you're introduced to it because it's not, if your parents aren't introducing you to it, which I mean, again, your parents shouldn't be like serving you booze, but if you don't see it in that up close uh, environment, normally Mm -hmm. the person that does introduce you to it is not, always the best resource for the first time you drink.
1: <laughs> not at all. My first experience with bourbon was at a New Year's Eve party, and this jerk that I went with wouldn't let me have a chaser, so it, it did not oh. end well for me.
0: <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. I think um, the first time mm-hmm. I had it wasn't whiskey, but the first thing I actually drank, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't say this, uh, the first thing somebody ever gave me was a wine cooler. <laughs> And I was I was so young. I was so young. And I was just like, this is amazing. Hey, guys, 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 I bet I just had like nine wine coolers, big man, big man. And, and, you know, they had to bring me back down to earth and be like, no, don't tell anybody that.
1: That's so funny.
0: I could have also just been ahead of my time because now guys are crushing white claws. Like they're the, just (laughs) the man, I'm a man, man. I'm chugging a white claw. Okay. I would have been your King in 1992.
1: (laughs) That's amazing.
0: Bow down to my wine cooler.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: But then you get to whiskey and, and I, There was like a lapse between when I drank whiskey in college and the journey back to it when you actually have a more refined palate and you're not just Mm -hmm. drinking it to be pounding it. Uh, there was a little detour with with scotch along the way. I lived in New York for a little bit. So it was cold enough up there that you could enjoy a Lafroig. And uh, which, by the way, I talk about Laphroaig way too much on this. I, I feel like people are going to think I get like a kickback from Lafroig. I don't. I just really like it. Um, and then back to bourbon, uh, just because you can't drink scotch in the south or you it's really hard to. It's a thousand degrees down here. And there's nothing like the peaty heat that you get from a peaty <laughs> scotch on a humid 90 degree day. (laughs) I hear that. So that's my, that's my ramble for the show. Just so uh, if you're counting at home, everybody, that is the ramble of the show. Uh, But you get into it and now you are the master taster. You are groomed to be the master distiller. And then it happens. You are now the master distiller of Brown Foreman.
1: Well, I, I never actually was titled master distiller. So I was I was protégé to Chris Morris, but I didn't actually take the title of master distiller until I I took the position at Castle & Key.
0: Okay, I was wondering about that because when I was doing research for this interview, it was they kept calling you the master distiller at Brown Foreman in, in things that I've read. But then it says quite clearly that you are the first when it comes to uh, Castle and Key. So, OK, so right. you you transitioned Castle and Key prior to receiving the actual uh, the crown of master distiller. That's right. That's okay. right.
1: It was interesting, you know, when I, when I um, met with the two gentlemen who were getting the uh, ideas together to start Castle and Key, which then, you know, there was no name. They, they, it wasn't like a job interview. When I went out there, they they were like, hey, you know, people have been telling us we should meet you. We'd love to just show you what we're up to. And I was like, all right, friendly neighbor, because I was at Woodford, just you know, stones throw down the road. I had no idea what old Taylor was, if I'm being completely honest. Right. Um, it was in that time that I went to a Filson Historical Society Bourbon University class that was taught by Mike Veach where he went through the history of the industry which of course covered Colonel E.H. Taylor and his contributions and I was just blown away I was like man this guy's really cool Like, uh, yeah you know I want to learn more about him yeah um and then uh heard from the guys at at uh, the former historic uh, old Taylor and went down there for the first time. I was like, there's a freaking castle down here. Nobody told me that there's a castle. I've been working at, at Woodford for six years and nobody told me that there was a castle. So it was just like these layers of the industry. I started to have this kind of awakening. I'm like, wow, there's so much more to bourbon than, I mean, Brown Foreman is amazing. Its history is amazing. So I was like, just drinking the Kool-Aid, which is some delicious Kool-Aid. But once oh, I started you know, learning more about the industry, I'm like, wow, there's, there's a lot here. And And E.H. Taylor was, uh, you know, a formidable uh, figure for sure.
0: Well, the cool part about bourbon history is that it ties in so deeply to American history. So you're learning about something that you become more passionate about as you learn more about it. But then you you're also learning your own history while you learn bourbon's history. Uh, And you coming from Tennessee and Kentucky, I mean, everything bourbon related and whiskey related. I mean, that's your ancestral DNA, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear that. You know, I, I, uh, I was not a fan of history when I was in in school and really developed a, a love for it through learning the history of bourbon. So I completely agree with you. They tie very closely together.
0: It's hard. I don't think you have the appreciation for it in your youth. Like there were all sorts of art history classes that I had to take and credit to the teacher who I did not like at the time. Uh, but now I can remember if she hadn't have been a, a, as hard as she was, I wouldn't uh, reflect on that time as fondly as I do now. Uh, it's things you can take away with you when you learn things like that. And especially with the whiskey game, because everything that people have done and created over the years, you can now use that as your blueprint for doing something new, which is Absolutely. what you then were afforded the opportunity to do when you got to Castle and Key. You went That's from- right. Pop- Following the recipe to creating your own recipe—that that's the freedom they gave you. Yes, that's awesome. So so now you've been given this opportunity, and you're you're said your fond farewell to Brown Foreman, and you're on to Castle and Key. I, I love uh, I love the thing you 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 wanted to meet as a prerequisite before you took the job. You wanted to meet the wives of the men you would be working with. W- why was that?
1: <laughs> uh, well, you know, they, they were hiring me and they're very explicit about the opportunity. You will be running the distillery. You will be developing the products. This will be your playground. Um, you're going to, you know, build the team and, and lead and, you know, design. And um, so, you know, I, I thought to myself, well, that's all well and good for you to say, but I, I need to know, you know, who is the, the boss in, in these relationships? So. I wanted to know that they were actually capable of taking direction from a woman, so that's where their wives came into the picture. Um, Will's wife is was at the time the head uh, chief chief of council for Keeneland Racetrack, uh, the horse track in Lexington, and now she's actually the first female president of um, Keeneland. So she's a badass and Will's wife, I mean, sorry, Wes's wife, I was a dentist. So she, you know, was inflicting pain on people for a living. (laughs) So I was like, all right, okay, these guys can probably uh, can probably actually, you know, take direction and from a a high powered uh, woman.
0: That's awesome. And such a smart way to go about doing that. (laughs) Uh, Because there's no questionnaire that's going to get answered, honestly, if they were not capable of doing what they said they were capable of, but you wouldn't even have to have much of a conversation with the lady is you would know by her eyes, if they were actually listening to her or not.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I know that body language very well.
0: <laughs> All it takes with that slightly raised eyebrow and you would know, Oh, she was uh-huh. told to say that he doesn't <laughs> listen. Uh-huh so you were with castle and key and really i mean you were with them at the kick the gate open portion of their existence uh they they take the facility that had been just left to decay since the 70s and they brought it back to life it it truly is a beautiful landmark uh very special they've got the water in the bottom they've got they've brought everything up to code for the top and, and now you're just off to making whatever you want to make. Uh, what, what all were you distilling for them during that time?
1: Um, so when we first had our, you know, initial conversations, there was definitely a desire to honor the history of the site. And I thought a great way to do that would be to make a bourbon recipe that was more traditional or a flavor, a style, flavor profile. What I ended up actually doing was creating four bourbon recipes and two rye whiskey recipes for them. So my intention, if I had stayed there um, to the release of the product, would have been to blend those Various recipes together to achieve a style that would emulate the historic profile of what Colonel E. H. Taylor developed, while also being um, something that spoke to my vision and a, and a legacy that I was creating for myself. Um, unfortunately, you know, I uh, left before that uh, could happen, so now it's up to the team that that I trained and and uh, left behind there to um, actually uh, accomplish that. And I'm, you know, I'm confident that that they will honor the, the products that I created.
0: I was going to say, if you trained them, I'm sure they'll be capable of, of pulling it across the finish line. But it also, of course, they ask you for one and you gave them six.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome.
1: I can't do things easy. It's just not in my blood.
0: No, no, nor should it be. I, I think the most interesting people are the ones that do a little bit of all of it and a lot of it well. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> uh, so you you build your four flavors, you build your 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 four bourbons, your two ryes. Uh, there was also some gin and some vodka in there, I believe. That's right. And, and then uh, the the neat documentary happens, which was pretty huge for you. You were basically the face of that documentary. Whether they they there were other people in it, but you came across as really the next generation that people could look forward to making bourbon better. Uh, What, what did that do for you in terms of career?
1: I was so excited to be a part of that um, project. You know, they, they approached me when they were very early early on and in the concept. And I don't know that they had fully um, fleshed out what what the feeling, the, the whole premise of it was going to be. They, they knew that they wanted it to be different, to be more forward-looking than backward-looking because a lot of what tends to happen in bourbon storytelling is it's only about the past. It's yes. all about the history. Um, but they thought, you know, there's a way to talk about it um, that also gets people excited about what's to come. Most definitely, and I, and I was yeah, and I was just really fortunate to to have a story that they thought was was interesting and and could speak to their their vision the way that they saw it and the introduction to the farmer that I chose and um you know some some other key players in in the industry just just made it a little more more interesting. They they said I was the most interviewed character that they kept bringing back, and so you know over the course of a couple years of filming they 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 have footage. Of of me saying I'm sure all kinds of wild things. So when uh, when I went to the premiere, I hadn't seen any of the the footage whatsoever, nothing that had been edited, nothing even, um, Not even raw. Not, oh, no. wow. <laughs> so nervous? I was, you know, I was like, well, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just absolutely stunning the way that they shot it, the way that they told the story, the, the, the clips that they chose and how they tied them together. I was just really pleased and proud to be a part of it.
0: Uh, it came out great. They did a phenomenal job. And you're absolutely right. You can set up every bourbon documentary that's come before it pretty simply. Uh, start with bluegrass music. Very calm narrator, gonna take you back. And he's gonna it, for some reason it's a southern spirit, but he always sounds like he's from New England and he's gonna take you back to 1820 when Dr. Crow and it then they never it almost stops at modern day as if it's over. Uh right. the, the beauty of Neat was that like you just said, here's here's everybody enjoying it now and what they're doing with it. That's right. And it's such an interesting place for America whiskey right now. Uh we are in a boom. Uh it, it was almost sunk a couple of generations ago. And now it's the most profitable it's ever been. And and you're you're surfing that. Like you're at the forefront of everything people are doing right now.
1: I'm I'm hoping that I am. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. I'm um I'm just really fortunate to be in the position that I am right now because I've, I've had um, lots of great opportunities to collaborate on people with, with different projects. And um, I've had to turn down some things that, that would have been, you know, potentially interesting, some things that I had no interest in, but (laughs) Um, it's, it's been, it's been really wonderful. I, I'm, I'm, I feel really lucky to get to do what I love and to have so many great partnerships.
0: Well, you have to be careful once you get to where you are because for everybody that comes at you with a good idea, there's going to be two people that come at you with like, go for stakes. We want you <laughs> to help us market go for stakes. You're like, oh, I don't <laughs> know. no. Is it is it just a steak that looks like nope nope it's gopher meat that we have sewn together into a steak like oh good okay I'm gonna have to politely pass and, and so now you uh, you leave Castle and Key in 2019 uh, what what led to the what led to the move into consulting.
1: I had been thinking, I guess, maybe up e- even like the last year of working at Castle and Key about a way to add some flexibility to my position to allow me to broaden my horizons, get some experience in other spirits, but also to make a greater contribution in our industry. And so it just got to the point there were some internal things that, you know, probably are better left um, unsaid. Um, but it was just the, the best choice for me at the time to, to move on. And I still think it was a, a good choice for me. And, you know, seeing where I am now and, and having um, collaborated on some uh, really fantastic brands with with folks behind the scenes helping to optimize processes which my engineering my nerdy engineering brain just absolutely loves Um, but also you know working with a brand like sweeten's cove um and helping to elevate the status of tennessee produced bourbon just even further Um, i've got a um a couple other bourbon projects i i I'm really excited about. I get to, you know, work on a, a brandy and that one is really an inspiring project to me. And I'm also, you know, just getting started in the rum space as well. So lot lots to look forward to.
0: That's awesome. So you're broadening. I, I, I think Tennessee whiskey kind of gets a uh, gets a shorthand. In the past five years. Like there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Tennessee. I I think people put the focus on Kentucky forgetting just how good the juice coming out of Tennessee is.
1: I think, you know, and, and I've been thinking about it a lot, um, particularly when the folks with Sweet and Scove approached me initially, you know, they, their thought was, we want to be, we want to embrace, you know, the the um, culture and the bourbon history of Tennessee. It was, we have this, you know, golf course in Tennessee, but also it's just not getting its due. Like you go to any fancy restaurant and open the, the spirits book, there's page after page after page of... Of Kentucky bourbon and maybe like a tiny little paragraph for ten- Tennessee produced product, you know, and, and he, his, his, uh, Uh, impression was that, you know, and and not many of them are what you might consider like a premium or an ultra premium and certainly not a super premium product for for Tennessee. So just adding to that list and starting to to shine a light and highlight the product that is being made in Tennessee because they have just as as rich uh, a production heritage as, as Kentucky.
0: They do. And and it's great that you're working to bring that forward because hey, it's time, you know, they, right? they, they produce some <laughs> quality spirits. And, and so now that you're in consulting, uh, you've started Eves Blind. W- what is Eves Blind?
1: Eves Blind is an educational palette development program.
0: Oh, that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, so it's um it's about tasting things that you would not have the opportunity to taste otherwise. So it was single source bourbon blends that I'm developing just for this program to give people different experiences to help unlock the ability that you have um, that you may not quite understand yet. Um, I think the aspect of tasting blind really focuses your attention on the experience that you're having with the spirit on that palate experience, it's going to allow you to start to develop your palate memory and identifying but even more than just that, um, I'm giving people the technical education so that they get about the spirit to the flavor of it. So thinking about um, the different nuances of, creating a recipe of the production process of the barrel and maturation process under like knowing what those are is cool but if you can actually tie them to how the flavor is expressing in a product then it's going to help you to understand new products that you haven't tasted yet and better so just a, a quick example you know, if I am uh, looking at a product and I see that it has a really high rye percentage, you know, what, what people automatically assume is, okay, it's going to be very spicy. We got to look at the rest of the grain recipe and how all of that plays together. Is it um, got more malt in it or more corn in it? If it's got more malt in it, then you're also going to... Um, consider that there's that sweet, creamy, yeasty bakery kind of influence that's going to balance the rye. So you should expect that in the product as well. If you've got a higher corn content, you may, and, and then it also depends on the aging, but if you go to higher corn content to go along with your your rye, um, maybe it's like 30% rye and 20 and uh, you know, high sixties in the in the corn, and then you've got a fairly low um, malt percentage. Then it, it really just starts to give you the the understanding of this is what I might expect. And then when you go in it, you're you've already got an understanding of the reaction that your palate is going to have potentially. Um, you could also start looking at you know the the yeast and how the yeast is introduced into the process. Is it does it go into the fermentation at a low temperature? Are they pitching the yeast at a high temperature? as all of this produces different characteristics in certain mash bills so it's really technical super nerdy um i think it's a a, a a program that people haven't seen before particularly with the curated samples you know a lot of folks put out tasting kits but it's stuff that's on the shelf like it's it's no different than than anything else that that's already sitting out there in the market but i, I really want to present something new
0: that's phenomenal that is, I love the idea of tasting blind as well. I I think people can let the label dictate if they like it or dislike it sometimes. And to go go at it blind, I've seen more people like things that are just, they're almost surprised when you tell them what they're drinking. And I think it's a wonderful way to train your palate because that doesn't matter what what the label and what the bottle looks like. That's marketing. That is that is just to get you to buy it until so that it looks pretty on your shelf. Uh, but the flavor profiles, if you can go at that without having that hold you back from the start, that is that is a brilliant. I and I love the teaching the consumer through. Oh man, it, it just sounds like just a wonderful endeavor that you've got going.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was one of my thing the things that I loved the most when I was working for Brown Foreman was the educational part of being able to um actually teach their Bourbon University classes and, and the all the bartender and, and retail staff training that I got to do about the process um that I was, you know, working on in my R and D job. So it wasn't just like, you know, I'm a uh, um and, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm, I'm you know, like a bourbon steward um, that has learned from a textbook. I've actually, you know, had my hands in the processes. So you're learning from somebody who has actually, you know, done this for a, over a decade.
0: Totally. If you're going to learn what whiskey tastes like, there's nobody better <laughs> to learn from than you.
1: <laughs> I appreciate you saying that.
0: Especially if you maybe throw some jujitsu in there as well, you know. Right. Chapter two. <laughs> Chapter one, you're going to learn about the yeast. You're going to learn about what temperature it goes on or how hot or how cold. Uh, Chapter three, you're going to learn how to whoop some ass. It's going to be uh, a full, it's going to be a lifestyle.
1: This is our spring chokehold.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) It it pairs uh, best with an elbow and a knee. Right.
1: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Uh, How
0: can people, how can people get involved with that? Uh, I I, I now want to learn. tell, Tell me how I can go learn.
1: Um Eavesblind.com gives even more detail as to what folks will get in the program. So it's four seasonal kits. There's two samples in each kit. Um the aficionado kit actually gets um four samples of bourbon in each kit and an even deeper level of education. But it's there dot EavesBlind.com.
0: That's awesome. So evesblind.com. Have, have you ever thought of doing videos to go along with it to kind of teach people what they're what, what you're telling them in the book or in, I, I don't know if it's a book in the
1: experience. <laughs> yeah. The, the um, aficionado members have access to a live stream tasting that I'll do every month and it'll be recorded. So they'll have access to it after the, the live stream tasting. Um, but yeah, so I'll have, I'll do one tasting per kit especially for the the VIP members, the aficionado members.
0: Wow. Okay. So I don't know when this episode's coming out, but anybody listening to this, it's got to be close to Christmas. This is what I want. If, if, <laughs> if, you, if you enjoy this, just send, send me a membership and I will thank you in kind because that sounds phenomenal. Everybody <laughs> should go and do that right now. So now that that's, that's just Beyond that's like a, a wonderful endeavor. So while you're doing that, you're also still consulting with other brands. I, I, I picture you almost like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Is that what whiskey consulting's like? Like they have a problem <laughs> and they're like, all right, we need to call Marianne. We need to get her in. We can't fix it. Let's see if she can.
1: I've heard a few people um, correlate me to the the late great Dave Pickerel, and that is such an honor because he was that person in the industry. Um, I, I would I would be. Uh, elated to be the the person that, that people reached out to when they had something go wrong. There are many um, great technical distilling consultants. Um, I think what I offer is um, an expertise in palette, uh, not palette, but um, product development and process development. So while I love helping people to fix problems, what I love even more is to help people level up. Like I want to take you from where you are and and, um, push you off into the stratosphere and see you soar. So, um, you know, the, the folks that I've worked with so far, you know, some um, we've been public about a collaboration, some not so much. And, you know, I, I don't need my name on everything. I'm I'm going to be really happy just networking, making great friends and, and seeing you um, love your product and, and excel in what you do.
0: And that's the beauty of the bourbon industry, the community that's grown out of it and the relationships. Everybody that I've spoken with so far they're all just happy to see one another do well. Like there is no, I want to be number one forever. It's, it's, I want to make good product. I want you to make good product. I want them to make good product. It's, it's all about creating the best for the industry as a whole in, in this little generational space that we're in right now. Absolutely. So it sounds like you are just beyond busy. What do you do when you're not busy? Like, what do you do when you're downtime? (laughs)
1: Downtime is an interesting idea now that I'm a mom. Um, I was going to say,
0: a new mom, there's not. There, what are you going to do in five years when you have downtime?
1: <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh, I I, um, I think one thing that is great about my relationship with my partner Kevin is that he's just as much of a workaholic as as I was. Um, so he's kind of taken up the slack. Uh, he he just works double time while um, while I'm taking care of Andy and and also doing podcast interviews like this one and, and all kinds of you know Zoom meetings and tasting. and um, but I think that. In five years, when I have some downtime, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really going to look forward to um, spending time outdoors. Um, I, you know, who knows what what Andy will love to do, but I just I, I can't wait to watch her grow.
0: Well, that's a beautiful answer. Uh, my daughter just turned five this year. So you, you, you've got there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel but at the same time, <laughs> enjoy the tunnel because there's nothing quite like it when they're at that age and they need you for everything. It, it seems hard in the beginning, but it's also a wonderful thing to get to be a part of that. And you've almost, it's the worst possible scenario, but you've been gifted a wonderful thing where you've been able just to spend as much time as humanly possible for the first year. Yeah. And and that's huge Uh, uh, barring everything outside of the RV, everything in the RV. It just sounds like you've, you've been given a gift.
1: Yeah. I I completely agree with that. You know, the, the projects that I had started working on before the pandemic hit have all kind of hit the brakes. So while I have lots of balls in the air, um, it's a circus joke, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um lots of spinning plates um it it's um it's really been manageable and has given me the opportunity to spend a ton of time with Andy. We haven't had to use child care so far um not that there's anything wrong with that it just stresses me out right not now totally. um to think of somebody else um coming in into our house but i um yeah it's it's been so wonderful to see her change and and even you know just in in the last couple weeks she's making all kinds of new noises and and she just seems so so much more um like like a word is going to pop out of her mouth any moment or you know she's she's about ready to start walking and and I I want to be there when when she does those things and and I'm fortunate that I have the the flexibility that I can be.
0: It's such a fun time, uh, especially when they're right there. They're transitioning from uh, lump to personality. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think one of my favorites was uh, when they could first hold their heads up. Like there's, there's, oh, good. I'm not gonna break her when I pick her up now. Right. Wonderful. <laughs> You know, it's it's very rubber bandy at the beginning there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's So Andy stayed in a little bit longer, so she had a little bit stronger neck muscles coming out, so I'd never got the full (laughs) bobblehead.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, uh, My my, my daughter, not so much, but my son, he was almost just like a a vomit sprinkler. Just the head head would go everywhere. (laughs) Uh, My wife used to play a little game that she called Wake Up Daddy. And wake up, daddy's where she would hold him over my head while I was sleeping and go, wake up, daddy, wake up, daddy. That She didn't know it. That was basically like shaking up a can of baby beer. <laughs> oh sure no. enough, more than not, he would wake me up just by just by projectile vomiting everywhere. And then guess what? You're awake. You are beyond <laughs> awake. You're up. You're angry. You're in the shower. The curtain's down for some reason. Nobody knows why. It's like time travel.
1: Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez.
0: One of the first times that it was like my big day to spend alone with him, she and the girls got together for like a well-needed mom day, you know. And within 5 seconds he threw up all over me and I call her and I'm like, "What do I do?" And she's like, "Clean it up."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting um Different, different babies are so different. The first road trip, so we do a lot of um, long road trips with the circus um, right. from Florida to Texas was the first one with her. And I had no idea, you know, what was okay, what was not okay. So we were stopping a lot, which stressed Kevin out because he was used to just like one speed when he's on the road, like get there as quick uh- as it's possible, and before everybody else, <laughs> oh
0: yeah, yeah, so
1: you know we were trying to figure out the boundaries with her, and there was one point we stopped, and she just it was it was the biggest puke I'd ever seen, and it was coming out of her nose, and I was just completely <laughs> oh, oh, terrified. Oh. I was like, my baby is gonna suffocate on her own vomit, but everything was was okay she's gonna, gonna was okay. a
0: cast, and she's only five months old, yeah. The, uh, being on the road with kids is insane. Uh, just from what we do, uh, we were in, they they come with me a lot of the times when, when they can, if it's a good enough gig that it warrants them being there. And, uh, last year and we, they're old now old by kids standards. We were in Connecticut and we get to the hotel after, you know, like when you're on the road from five o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, all you want to do, you want to get into the hotel, you want to take a shower and you want to go to bed. So we get off the road, I go into the hotel and as soon as I walk in, I see a guy dressed like a German shepherd and I'm like, weird. Okay. And then there's a, there's a dude dressed like a unicorn. I'm like, oh my, okay. I go up to the front desk and sure enough, there's two things happening that weekend. The Davis Gwen wedding and the 2018 furry convention. Oh
1: no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm sure the Gwen Davis wedding was very, very happy about that. Uh, And I go and I tell my wife, I tell her that this is happening. You know, what do you want to do? She goes, you know, it's we've been on the road all day. Let's just let's just get in. If it's if it's weird, we get up to our room and we leave first thing in the morning when we've got some sleep. Uh, we get them through the lobby easy enough. It's almost like dodging, walking stuffed animals, but we get them to the elevator. As soon as the elevator door opens, again, another dude dressed like a German shepherd. My son, just out of the mouths of babes. He's like, dad, what's that? And uh, <laughs> my wife in, in mom mode, she just, just quickly, she's like, mascot, that's a mascot, honey. That's a mascot. And he immediately goes... What team does he play for? Yeah. <laughs> At which point everybody in the lobby starts laughing hysterically and we get him in the elevator and, and, and go to hell to bed as quickly as we can. <laughs> Just That's shit,
1: hilarious. <laughs>
0: shit you can't plan for. Uh, so you've been very gracious with your time today. Uh, I won't keep you much longer. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. You're, you're, you're very creatively minded and it's always fun to speak to somebody that has a good creative mind. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Jesse. I, I really enjoyed it, too. Uh,
0: there's always a few things that people want to know uh, when it comes to respected names in the industry. What is your go to Sipper at the moment? Like, what's on your shelf at home?
1: I've got a few things right now. I think one of my go to's, um, kind of a, a daily drinker, is Russell's. I just love it. I think Me too. it's great. I have so much respect for jimmy and eddie and and everything that they've accomplished and they are it's just solid juice um, I also you know going back to my brown foreman roots, I, I actually started working for Brown foreman when the r and d department where I was working started the development for Woodford double oaked so I have fond memories of developing helping you know we're not helping I was doing like the the heavy lifting the the grunt work of um of like little um uh, wood trials and things like that but i really love woodford double oaked so that when i when i have the opportunity to find a unique expression of that i always want to try it
0: nice I, I i i need to get back to woodford i used to drink woodford all the time and i feel like it's all you go through cycles with things you you drink it and then you find something else and you drink that uh <laughs> i need to give woodford double Oak uh, a try um what is who is on this is the one of my favorite questions who would be on your mount rushmore of distillers like if you had to pick four people that are going to represent the just this is these are the beacons of our industry
1: mm. Gosh, that's hard for me to only pick four i think jimmy russell has got to be up there agreed who else would i put up there
0: and you don't even have to do four. We could just put a gigantic statue of Jimmy Russell <laughs> in, into the side of a mountain. And just mostly, mostly Jimmy that. Russell.
1: Let's <laughs> just <laughs> do four Jimmys. <laughs>
0: four Jimmy Russells. And we'll just put various years on the front of it. Like that's 12 year Jimmy Russell. <laughs> just people taking pictures on top of his head.
1: Oh, that sounds fantastic.
0: Perfect. We'll go with that. For Jimmy Russells, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, Marianne, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, thanks for giving us the time. It's, it's been so nice just chatting with you and learning about your background and what you're doing right now. If, if everybody go go to evesblind.com, uh, it, that sounds like a phenomenal program, and I wish you nothing but success with it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Have a good one. And there you have it, everybody. That's today's episode. We want to thank Marianne Eves for being on the program. She was just an absolute delight to talk to. We want to thank everybody for listening today. Go check out Eves Blind. I mean, what a great idea. If if you do not know or you want to learn more about whiskey, it is a proper, proper idea and a wonderful service that she's providing there. So go give that a check out. If you would, please hit subscribe on the old podcast button there. Go find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all that good stuff. And uh, again, guys, this has been so much fun to do. We want to thank everyone for their continued support. This is the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. We'll see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Let's raise our glasses and kick some asses. My name's Jesse Jones, and we'll see you on down the road. Take care, everyone.